I think Christmas lists are going to look somewhat different this year, like just about everything else in 2020. Sure, some of the staples will still be there, the video games and the new shoes, the sweaters and scooters and ski helmets. But I think lots of us are wishing for different sorts of things this year. A friend's post on Facebook reads, all I want for Christmas is for Bruce Springsteen to start touring again. I'm actually quite sympathetic. That would be right up there on my Christmas list too. But I imagine we could each complete that sentence in our own way. All I want for Christmas is for it to be safe to travel and see family again, or to go to a movie in the theater with friends, or to crowd the dining room table with guests, or to fill up the church with joyful singing, or to have even some vague idea of what the next year is going to look like. It's a strange advent that we're beginning today, and I imagine our individual hopes and wishes this season reflect something of that strangeness. Some things, however, never change. As usual, the prophet Isaiah has his Christmas wish list ready early this year. And as usual, there's just one thing on it. All Isaiah wants for Christmas is for God to show up and make everything right. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. As usual, Isaiah is not interested in new socks this Christmas. He wants the clear and unimpeded presence of God, the righting of wrongs, the transformation of the world. We don't know the precise context for Isaiah's words here, but they are part of a larger lament, likely composed sometime between the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians and its rebuilding by following the exile's return to Jerusalem several decades later. The beloved city lies in ruins. The way forward is profoundly unclear, and Isaiah speaks to God on behalf of his hurting people. Do something already. Come on, God, we know the stories. We know how you showed up for your people enslaved in Egypt. We know how you worked signs and wonders for them, how you split the sea in two, how you led them by a, fill, a pillar of fire by night, how you fed them with manna in the wilderness. So where are you now? Why are you hiding from us when we need you? Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Isaiah is asking for a lot this year, and he's not the only one. The psalmist joins in with a strong and bold plea. Stir up your might and come to save us. Wake up, God. Don't be distant. Restore us. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Maybe you are used to this sort of language, raw and jagged and harsh here on the first Sunday of Advent. The season does always start this way in worship, but it still surprises me a little every year. I mean, we're preparing for Christmas, for the arrival of God in the manger, for a scene of profound tenderness and gentleness, for the arrival of the presence of God in a baby. 
And yet, our preparation begins with these alarm bell biblical texts, with calling on God to intervene in the world and in our lives in dramatic, transformative ways. It feels a bit strange. Nearly a century ago, Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached a beautiful Advent sermon, reminding his listeners that the coming of God is not all sweetness and joy. It is that, of course, but this news should also rouse us from our slumber. We've become so accustomed to the idea of divine love and of God's coming at Christmas, he wrote, that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect, that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God is truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news for everyone who has a conscience. I find it helpful to come back to those words each year as a reminder that Advent is serious business. God does not simply come to the world to leave the world as it is or to give us sweet and cozy feelings around the Christmas tree. God comes to change the world, to judge and to overturn, to work out a path of justice and mercy in us and around us. We can't sing the words, O come, O come, Emmanuel, lightly. We are asking for something earth-shaking when we do. So I think that's part of the reason that we hear from Isaiah here at the start of Advent, to remind us what it means to call on God to come in our midst. Still, it does seem a little strange, doesn't it? To ask for so much. I mean, three years ago, we heard those same words from the prophet. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Stir up your might and come, we prayed, like we had for countless advents before this one. And well, here we are, nearing the end of a year with more than its share of loss, with a pandemic still raging, with economies in tatters, with societies riven by deep divisions and injustices, with profound disagreements about what even to believe as news. We have been praying for God to come and fix everything for a long time now. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen the skies crack open any time recently. So this year, wouldn't it make sense to lower our expectations a bit? To ask for something a little less than what Isaiah has in mind? Like, okay, God, just help me get through this week. Or let me not lose my temper with my kids today. Or let me not be a total grump this season. Or let Bruce Springsteen start touring again before too long. Oh, that you would open the heavens and come down. Isn't asking that a bit unrealistic, a bit bold, a bit naive? Isn't it all a bit much? Maybe, but maybe it is still just what we need. This past week, I read a short piece by Pope Francis with the title, A Crisis Reveals What Is in Our Hearts. If you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to track it down. It's a beautiful article about the sort of reckoning that can come from difficult and disorienting experiences. These stoppages in life, 
as he calls them, can reveal what needs to change. Our lack of internal freedom, the idols we've been serving, the ideologies we've tried to live by, the relationships we've neglected. And when it comes to the experience of the pandemic this past year, he says, we've seen both how profoundly fractured our world is and how we can, in fact, turn and move in a new direction. These are his words. To come out of this crisis better, we have to recover the knowledge that as a people, we have a shared destination. The pandemic has reminded us that no one is saved alone. What ties us to one another is what we commonly call solidarity. Solidarity is more than acts of generosity, important as they are. It is the call to embrace the reality that we are bound by bonds of reciprocity. The pandemic has showed us that we are really in this venture of life together, that no one is saved alone. And so maybe this is the perfect time to return to those shared and audacious hopes. We often talk about church as a community of shared beliefs or shared practices. Maybe we should also think of church as a community of shared longings, where we find a sense of commonality in our hoping and praying for a healed and restored world. We are not, after all, just isolated individuals, each hoping for whatever might be on our Christmas wish list this year. We are people of faith, joined to one another and with the company of saints in our hope for a world where steadfast love and faithfulness will meet and righteousness and peace will kiss each other. We are bound together in our longing for that promise's fulfillment. And there is a profound sense of solidarity to be found there. It matters to me that I belong to a community where we practice hope together, where we are not just content to say, well, that's how the world is, better get used to it and lower our expectations, where we continue to tell the stories and remember the visions and sing about a new day dawning and challenge one another to take actions toward it. It keeps drawing my hopes beyond my own limited wish list. It teaches me to hope for more. And in this season, when we are scattered much more than gathered, it reminds me that I'm not alone. Of course, there is nothing wrong with praying for the patients to just make it through the week. But Isaiah invites us to pray for more than that. To boldly call on God, to mend the brokenness of the world, to forge new paths of understanding, to show up in unexpected and even earth-shaking ways. Even here, a month from the end of 2020. Is it realistic? I don't know, but that's never stopped God before. So with the prophets and the poets and the faithful of all times, we keep hoping this year not just as individuals, but as a community, held together by shared longing for a world made right. We keep lighting candles against the darkness and remembering that in our hoping and in our watching, we are not alone. Thanks be to God. Amen.